This is the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast. As I mentioned before, we started mid to early last year and we were at 85, 80% occupancy the entire year. Uh, in these last two months, we were at 98% occupancy, believe it or not, uh, in the winter months. You're listening to the Millennial Millionaire Through Real Estate Podcast, where we discuss tangible tips, tricks, and best practices for becoming financially free. The show is designed for people who want to either start real estate investing or for those who want to scale their real estate business. What's up, guys? I'm your host, Jonathan Farber. I hope you guys are well and healthy. For any first-time listeners, thank you guys for being here. I really appreciate it. The goal of this show is to explore ways to become financially free through real estate or to increase passive cash flow through real estate. A little bit about myself. I work in corporate America at a software company and my side hustle is real estate. I currently own eight units, a mix of small multifamily and short-term rentals, aka Airbnb. I've house hacked, bird, flipped, and as mentioned, short-term rentals to name a few strategies. I love to network, so hit me up on any platform, Facebook, LinkedIn, Bigger Pockets, Instagram, or just search Jonathan Farber Real Estate and you should find me. Also, if you are not already in the exclusive Facebook group, this is where I post most and do a lot of behind the scenes content of sharing deals, strategies, and systems. See you there. This episode is sponsored by Infinite Road Destinations, the smartest short-term rental property management group I know and the group that manages my properties. This is a company that's very close to my heart, run by two of the smartest, most attentive people I know, Claire Rosenberg and Alex Brashears. Claire and I first met when we worked together at NetApp, where she was a top performer and rose crazy fast in the company. And Alex is just one of the most active, genuine people I know in the real estate space. The two of them together bring a blended background of project management, software design, and extensive experience with automation tools and virtual assistants. Through these experiences, they optimize any property to deliver a hands-off experience to owners while delivering the highest occupancy and highest daily rates possible. You guys know I would not recommend anything to anyone in this group that I do not fully endorse or think that is the absolute best product. And this company is that. And like I said before, this is the exact company and people that manage my Airbnbs. If you don't believe me, here are a few of the other tools and services that come along with the team. Listing optimization, guest support and approval, communication and reservations, key exchange and management, dynamic pricing, welcome kit creation, listing advertising and marketing, vendor management, including cleaners, maintenance, handymen, runners, and monthly property reports. To learn more, check out shorttermmadeeasy.com or email info at shorttermmadeeasy.com. And on the forum, just mention that you heard it here or mention my name. So give it a try. You have nothing to lose and they offer a satisfaction guarantee. And I assure you guys, you will not be disappointed. What's up, guys? Today, we have an awesome episode with Mike Brown. Mike and I first connected through a short-term rental arbitrage mastermind that we're in hosted by, I'm going to butcher his name, but his name is Sean Radkijic. He runs the YouTube channel, Airbnb Automated awesome channel if you're interested in anything Airbnb arbitrage related. But anyway, um, Mike is based in Dallas. He has seven Airbnb arbitrage units while working a full-time job and doing a podcast and branding on um, clean housing and um, like more habitable housing and um, basically just like healthier housing. Very interesting concept. Didn't really know much about it, but we dig into it a little bit on the show, but more or less this episode is about deep diving, what you need to get started. If you have any interest in short-term rentals or Airbnb arbitrage, and we kind of talk all about what you need to do, what you can start today, what's more important, where people get tripped up, um, and just kind of all things. It's something that I am looking to do very seriously over the next quarter, hoping to have like 15 or 20 of these units right now, just waiting on some trade lines and um, LLC financials to be built up. But expecting to kind of go hard into this over the next quarter or so. So stay tuned. I'll be putting more out about it, but it's a great episode where we did dig into a lot of these concepts. The main learning I had from this episode was if you are looking to get into this, there are a lot of relationships you could start building that'll make your life a lot easier. Anything from cleaning companies to realtors to staffing companies that can all fill your pipeline a lot easier than if you're just putting your stuff out on Airbnb or Furnish Finder or Facebook groups. It's much better to have people who are farming and hunting for you who have a need that you can fill. Um, so it's definitely something to think about. I didn't even think about it to some extent, and he was digging into a lot of detail on that. So it was a big learning for me. 
today's tangible tip. If you have any questions about someone's booking status or their listing on Airbnb, just shoot them a DM. You'd be amazed how often people are either willing to help or if you kind of position in a way like, hey, what's up with these dates? I see you have them blocked off. More times than not, they will respond and actually give you an answer to your information if you're curious about either why they have their calendar blocked off or how they're kind of setting things up or if they orient their property in a certain way. You can get a lot of information by connecting with hosts. I don't hear a lot of people talking about this, but anytime I'm considering an area, I DM probably 50 to 60 hosts just to try to connect with them and start building relationships in the area and see what they like or don't like. So it's a really good tip. All right. Well, without any further ado, great episode today with Mike Brown. Enjoy. Check it out. If you have any questions, drop them in the Facebook group or send Mike or myself a DM. Um, He's been helping me out a lot with stuff and he's just a great guy. Very knowledgeable in the space. See you guys. All right, Mike, what's going on, man? Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks. Thanks. Glad to be here for sure. Yeah, man. So I don't think we've had too many people that are doing Airbnb arbitrage on the show. We've had a couple and uh, I don't think I've had anyone from the same mastermind that we're in um, for short-term rentals and for Airbnb arbitrage specifically. But uh, I'm excited to dig into it today, man, because I feel like we're kind of in our conversations before I've just been scratching the surface. We were kind of trading tools and you were helping me with some trade line stuff, which I have a note to make sure we talk about today because I think that's a really important thing. Um, but really, I would just love to dig into the concept in general and kind of hear things from your side. So from a high level, would you mind giving our audience kind of the blurb background on how you got into real estate or specifically Airbnb, and then also from a high level where your business is at today and what you do in real estate. Awesome. Yeah, definitely. So um, my background is actually very, very different than real estate. Uh, it, it, it does kind of have some synergy in a way, uh, but my, my background uh, is in engineering. Um, so I'm, um, I actually, you know, went to Texas A&M, graduated, um, and it really came out uh, focusing on building and construction and building sciences. So I work for an architecture firm full time. That's my day job, nine to five, and uh, really focusing working with architects, engineers, uh, contractors, and even the real estate uh, investors and developers to really be able to enhance their their buildings um, a, as an infrastructure piece. And so we go t- deep into everything from lighting, HVAC. Uh, so on and so forth to really be able to provide better quality for those uh, those properties um, in design and even for retrofits as well. And so we we get into you know talking to them about incentives and how they can pay for it, so on and so forth. But um, so that's my day to day, and uh, really passionate about energy efficiency and sustainability in general. So I think there's a lot of benefits to it. Um, but for for arbitrage in particular, so for me, I really got into that, uh, really wanting to find you know another stream of revenue or income right outside my day job and for those of you all who don't know what uh, arbitrage is essentially with arbitrage uh, you're actually being able to uh, lease out a space it could be an apartment it could be um, a residential home it could be a townhome condo so on and so forth and being able to add value to that particular property um, in many many cases and then uh, lease that out to another uh, tenant and so obviously with that particular model uh, there's not a huge upfront investment other than being able to fully furnish that space, doing the, the maybe some interior design work if, if you want to get into that uh, to add value. Um, unlike, you know, maybe a traditional uh, uh, investment property where you have to put down a huge <clears throat> down payment, um, obviously you may have an opportunity to get um, uh, uh, appreciation on that as well. However, with the arbitrage, it's a way for you to scale faster uh, and then also be able to have less upfront costs. So um, many, many times, the way that you can probably get the best deals and have the quickest ROI is being able to negotiate uh, and pick up more than one unit, right? So that's one of the one of the challenges with um, doing single family and picking up one by one. You can only do so many, right? With the arbitrage, you can essentially sign as many leases as possible. Um, I mean, there's there's no limit to it um, legally and then also the way that the structure is made. So typically that's something you would want to put into your business name, your LLC, uh, so that you can protect that. Um, and so, you know, with this particular model, I've got into, got into this this structure and right now I'm operating seven, seven properties. Uh, we actually started early last year, so we were just over a year old, uh, so still relatively new. Uh, and then 
you know, with this particular model, you can uh, lease out that space on a short-term basis, uh, unlike a typical tenant where you have uh, a 12-month lease. Uh, you could do a month-to-month -month lease, you could do a three-month, six-month, and uh, or even less than, than 30 days if that's applicable for your particular region and if, uh, you know, local laws and, and guidelines uh, allow for that. Uh, and that's obviously, that's obviously where you can really get the largest bang for your buck just because you're able to uh, capitalize on the short-term stays um, that typically have uh, larger margins than some of the longer-term stays, right? Uh, obviously, you're going to have more turnover with that, um, more cleanings, things of that nature. But at the end of the day, uh, being able to offer that is a huge value for folks. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm loving the journey so far. We're looking at uh, potentially getting 15 units by the end of the year. Uh, so right now, we're in the process of really being able to uh, focus on um, acquisitions and also creating partnerships. So one of the things you want to make sure you have that's pretty strong within this uh, arbitrage model is one, uh, having uh, inventory and availability, um, and then also having a pipeline and source coming in, whether that be uh, through Airbnb, VRBO, booking.com, or even direct bookings if you have a website, uh, or creating those uh, relationships with staffing companies in particular, uh, because they have individuals that you know uh, come to your city, um, you know, for an extended period of time, need somewhere to stay and, and don't want to have to do a hotel or extended stay kind of situation. Uh, people obviously love being able to have uh, a kitchen and, and things of that nature. And then some of the other amenities that come along with, uh, you know, say maybe an apartment or even a house for that matter, um, and more privacy uh, in many cases as well uh, than a hotel. So mm -hmm. um, that, that's my spiel. <laughs> Sorry, okay. I could be a little, little, little long, but. <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. Thank you so much for that. Um, so, there's so many questions. So I'm going to just try to rattle through these quick. Cause I feel like this is a topic that once people get exposed to, they, they can become obsessed with because in a good way, there are so many benefits to doing it, especially now you mentioned um, you can scale and the cash flow. But the other thing that I think about with it is, and sure there's negatives, but the other positive is right now, everything else is so competitive that I do see this as kind of a soft spot where not that many people are doing it. Not that many people know how to do it professionally. So there's a high barrier to entry from a standpoint of like, you know, doing it the right way, but there's a low barrier to entry in the sense of it's not that competitive. And if you can come in and build relationships, you can scale very quickly and make a lot of money. So um, again, like it's kind of, I say it a lot on the podcast, but it's that book, Who Moved My Cheese? It's just a constant game of trying to figure out where's my next kind of you know, yield going to come from? Where's my next strategy? You know, because the world changes so quickly, unless you're building a company that you're putting all your eggs in, it's going to be something for 30 years. There are a lot of ways to make money that you can kind of capitalize on things quickly. So um, I just wanted to ask, I guess, just some specifics of your properties. Um, so yeah. being in the, the same mastermind, you know, Sean puts out a lot of his figures, but I'm curious for you. Um, and again, not sure exactly how long you've been doing this, but have you been able to track, I guess, either on a typical month or yearly basis, what each unit will yield you in cash flow? Absolutely. Uh, so our, our typical minimum, and this is really what we use as a, as a proxy uh, to, to the data that's available, whether you use AirDNA or use your own methods for understanding whether or not the numbers will work, uh, is at least uh, clearing about 500 or 600 bucks in, in profit per month per property. That's bare minimum. Mm -hmm. uh, so as I mentioned before, we started mid to early last year and we were at 85, 80% occupancy the entire year. Uh, in these last two months, we were at 98% occupancy, believe oh. it or not, uh, in the winter months. Um, sorry to, to get back to your question, cause I was diverting there. Um, so with that, um, with the past couple of months, we've seen anywhere between 800 and a thousand, uh, on profits, uh, per property. Mm -hmm. And obviously, in some cases where you have a, a, a huge demand or you have holidays and things of that nature, you'll see fluctuations in that. Um, in our particular market, that it's not, it's not largely seasonal aside from you know summertime, spring breaks, things of that nature. Um, there's a pretty consistent flow, and I think um, the challenge that a lot of operators have in the arbitrage model that you don't have with the variability for a long-term tenant or a typical single-family is being able to. Uh, change that pricing uh, based on demand. Um, so um, what that means is 
um, one of the skill sets or strategies you want to be able to optimize is understanding that you want to be able to um, you want to be able to have higher pricing for days that are further out into the future so you don't want people to block out your calendar so that you lose an opportunity for a longer term tenant to come in um, and then as you start to get closer to the actual reservation day or the current day is where you start to uh, do discounts and decreasing your pricing uh, there's a couple of different ways you can do that um, there's different models that they have out there that are, that are available uh, right now uh, I'm doing a combination of kind of self-management with that, along with using um, Price Labs, uh, if you're familiar with that at all. Uh, and so it looks at the market, it looks at the demand, it gives recommended rates. You can put in some filters and, and buffers and things of nature. So that's where you really are able to capitalize on your margin day to day. Uh, and a lot of operators really, um, really, I don't wanna say become complacent, uh, especially if you have a lot of properties and they just kind of set their rates, set your minimums, set your week, weekday rates and your weekend rates and just leave it. Uh, and that's not the way to go. Um, you can make some money that way, but you won't be able to really uh, maximize on your on your profits and your margins because uh, you have to you have to be looking at that at least at a minimum, I would say at a weekly on a weekly basis. Mm -hmm. um, I'm still relatively new, so I'm looking at that stuff like every other day. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, it's 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 fun uh you know a lot of times i like to compare it to um you know like monopoly right i'm sure you've heard people give that comparison with real estate um is being able to understand the game um you know pivot and make adjustments as needed and then obviously like you and i are doing uh learning from those that are doing it well and uh just building on top of that so you know standing on the the, the shoulder of giants as some people say so totally yeah it's such a good point that uh, it's it's just a way that you can kind of make money right now, like I said before, where it's very competitive and at worst you should be making 500 a month, you know, like in many cases, much more. So um, I guess just a couple more questions about your portfolio. Are you targeting a specific type of unit or specific type of building? So like, you know, uh, part of our portfolio, I have some houses, but then some now we're targeting uh, studios for like traveling nurses. Uh, and then Sean talks a lot about on the trainings of maybe going for three or four bedroom property. So is there a sweet spot in your portfolio that you've had success with or that you want to try to do more of? Uh, so one of the things we're trying to do now is really get into the two and three bedroom, uh, either apartment units or homes. Uh, obviously, homes offer a little bit more flexibility, more privacy. Um, and, and in many cases, um, like you mentioned with, with Sean, uh, you can have, kind of have two different strategies with with the residential. When you have um, uh, multi, uh, you have multiple rooms, and you can technically do this on the apartment side too, but it would just be multiple apartments. But you have the option of, of either renting out the entire place, or you can rent out each room. Um, and both models work really, really well. Uh, in some cases, especially if you live near a university, uh, things of that nature, or if you have a really strong network with traveling nurses, when you do the the room by room that's where you can really get some good cash flow on. Um, again, we haven't we haven't really gotten to that yet. All of our units right now are one one ones, one bedroom, one bath. Uh, and so that's why we're trying to 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 grow into that particular market. Um, I would say 80% of the and this is another play too on arbitrage, which I'll talk about in a second. 80% um, of the folks that we pr predominantly work with are traveling nurses uh, or business professionals. I know people say that a lot, but <laughs> For us, our I mean, they, the people say it right, but um, we actually do embody that. And so, uh, obviously, being able to cater to them, knowing what's important, uh, and then really just um, you know focusing on those particular areas, right? Are, are the places that you are picking up are they near hospitals? How close are they to hospitals? How close are they to other corporate headquarters? I know right now there are a lot of businesses that you know still are working remote. Uh, that may not always be the case. Uh, and those individuals will come back. And as you know, with, with Texas now, um, you know, we're opening back up. Um, and so that's going to bring more commerce in addition to, you know, folks moving here to, to live here. Um, so um, we've also started to reach out to real estate uh, professionals as well. Um, while it, it doesn't happen a lot, uh, when it does happen, you want to be the first person to come to mind. But there are a lot of realtors, especially here in the Texas area, that work, work with people that are traveling from out of state, right? 
So whether they're coming from New York, California, and so uh, that are, that are going to purchase a house. And they may not necessarily be able to move into the house immediately, and they need a short-term um, location to stay at. That could be what you, the solution that you offer. So when I, talk, when I talked about building your pipeline and your, your, your sources of, of, uh, of clients and tenants, uh, that could be an avenue. And that's what we're trying to build on as well, uh, relationships with local uh, realtors. So, Gotcha. <clears throat> um, really good stuff there. I, I am trying to do the same. So it's interesting to hear that that's kind of your target too, because I think that's a really nice potential spot to play in where people are between homes they are professionals or they're, you know, like just whatever they're white collar jobs or, you know, like high income earners. And they might just be looking for something kind of between, and they don't want to live in a hotel or they don't want to stay in some Airbnb that they just don't know what the house is going to be like, or they want a gym or they want a kitchen, like all these things that, you know, we hear Sean talk about, but they make sense um, of kind of like appealing to a market. So that's just a great point. Um, you mentioned that you're using some tools. Usually I ask about tools at the end, but it's kind of related to managing. That was the direction I was going to ask about next. So you said that you're managing these units yourself. I would love to hear kind of from a time standpoint, what that typically runs on a weekly or monthly basis. And then maybe if you could talk about how some of the tools help supplement what you're doing and kind of alleviate some of the time that some people might have to put into it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, so uh, I actually do both. So I self-manage uh, a portion of my portfolio. And then I actually have uh, two units right now that I have a property management uh, team um, working on. And the reason why I've done that is, um, so with one of the, the, the deals that we were able to develop uh, early on, uh, it was a three unit deal uh, here in Dallas. And that property management team really went to bat for us uh, with the developer. Uh, and under, making them understand their process and really um, bringing them into the idea of even doing arbitrage for that apartment complex. And so uh, we brought them on there and I'm also testing the waters because obviously as I start to grow, uh, once you get start to scale, you're gonna have to have, start to develop a team uh, and things of that nature. But um, right now I predominantly use uh, Smart BNB uh, to be able to manage uh, guest communications. There's a lot of automation that's put into that. Um, and then just being able to have different touch points uh, with them as well. Uh, over 50% of our portfolio right now has um, longer term tenants. Um, so I say a minimum of, of three months. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's one of the reasons why we're able to stay so highly occupied during the winter season is because for four or five of our properties, uh, we had folks that uh, came in in November and weren't leaving until February or even March of this year. So that made it, really easy to, I don't want to say coast and be uh, complacent, uh, but that allowed me to shift my focus from, you know, really trying to, to pick up, or sorry, to focus, focus on um, picking up more units as opposed to trying to get more tenants and, you know, focusing too much on the Airbnb side or, or whatever platform that it's on. Um, so really Air, or smart, smart BNB is what I use for, for a tool. Um, and then also turnover BNB right now, at least, um, for cleaners and management of cleaners. Uh, it's a really great tool just because it allows you to be able to sync it up with any of your calendars. Uh, even if you have a PMS system, um, outside of, um, uh, sorry, outside of Airbnb, VRBO, so on and so forth, uh, to be able to, um, automatically schedule and put on that, that cleaners calendar, you know, when the guest is going to check out when they need to to come clean, so on and so forth. If they check out early um, and all that stuff, photo documentation, everything. Because as you know, you know, one of the challenges with Airbnb in particular is being able to um, get resolution claims for different damages and so on and so forth. So that's another piece as well. Um, I think it's really important that if you're gonna go into arbitrage as opposed to uh, a traditional long-term 12-month um, tenant is being able to protect yourself uh, financially. And so with uh, Airbnb, with the recent um, um, change with them going, going public and so on and so forth with the IPO, uh, they've gotten much, much more stringent on their resolutions. And so what that means is you have to have ironclad documentation uh, and or another alternative. So one of the ways we've been able to kind of hedge some of those uh, quote unquote losses um, or potential losses is having um, short-term rental insurance. We use proper insurance 
And it's a it's a good way for you to, to protect your assets. Obviously, you know, claims over a certain amount, you're able to, to get uh, reimbursement for things of nature for damages. But also the biggest piece, which a lot of insurance, like your typical Geico or Progressive, so on and so forth, for just normal insurance for an apartment, uh, does not have loss of income insurance included in that. So if you have a situation, let's just say a couple of weeks ago when, when pipes were bursting all over Dallas, right? Uh, and maybe that happened in one of your units and it had a tenant in there. So in that scenario, obviously depending on the nuances, um, you know, that, that insurance would pay out not only the, the potential relocation for that individual, but also all the days that you're losing revenue uh, because you've had to take that unit offline until damages have been repaired, so on and so forth. So there's not a lot of insurance companies out there that, that do that. Um, I would definitely say it's a little, it's definitely pricier than your typical apartment insurance, but you get all the other coverage, liability, so on and so forth, uh, that I think operators really need, um, to be honest, to, to be able to uh, just minimize risk at the end of the day. So mm -hmm. that's so interesting. So I wasn't actually even planning to go here right now, but we're on it. And I think it's such an important topic because there's so much bad information on this stuff in the forums, on Facebook. So can you just maybe, I guess, walk through kind of how the insurance works or maybe where you see the line ending with Airbnb's million dollar insurance policy and then what you feel you need to take into your own hands to protect yourself? Because uh, some other arbitrage operators that I've talked to they think about it like this, the building covers the building, Airbnb covers the property. So why do I even need any insurance? And it's on paper, it sounds like it could be valid, but I would just love to hear your answer and your perspective. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially for those that have not even started in short-term rental, um, in the short-term rental world yet. Um, Nothing against Airbnb at all, because it's, it's a great platform. It allows you to, to get access to people, right? Uh, however, I will go into starting your operations, assuming that if you're on Airbnb, that at as your baseline, that you won't get any resolutions approved. I would just start with that, because that'll take a lot of heartache, uh, a lot of headaches out of, you know, and, and just being upset around, you know, resolutions not being uh, approved or, 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 um, uh, move, move, moving forward to where you're actually going to get that, that payout or that uh, reimbursement. And the reason why I say that is because one of the challenges that you have, um, especially if you do have a lot of quick turnover, and this is really important. And the reason why you should be able to educate your team and be able to have them on board is typically in order for you, your resolution claim to be accepted or be valid, you have to submit that claim uh, before the next guest checks in. So if you have and in many cases, some people do this, if you, especially if you're not on the, uh, I guess, the COVID protocol where you have so many uh, days blocked out in between stays, whether that's 24 hours, 48 hours. Let's just say if you have a, a same day checkout and same day check-in, right? You have three or four hours for a cleaner to come clean. If they're doing other units or other locations, you know, they may come in, in some cases, an hour before that, uh, that guest comes in, right, to clean. And so in that scenario, it's really important that uh, you stress the documentation and immediately addressing anything, any damages or any missing items. Because if you miss that window, uh, technically you're supposed to submit that before the next guest checks in. If you do it anytime after that, it's likely that you, your resolution may not be, may not pass. Mm. Uh, so in addition to that, um, I know smoking is another one that comes up a lot and you know how you are able to uh, justify you know, those charges and things of that nature, whether it's, it's cleaning or maybe it's just a, a convenience fee for, for you having to deal with that. Um, that quote unquote convenience fee uh, that people used to kind of throw in, whether it's in the house rules, um, is going to be harder and harder to pick up, right? Um, and so just being able to have that documentation, I think one of the things that Sean mentions before is being able to have a partnership with either a contra contractor or creating your own entity where you can basically invoice yourself for those repairs so that you can get the the resolution or get the, uh, sorry, get the quote or get the invoice so you can get the resolution approved. Uh, Cause typically that's that's what it takes. Mm -hmm. So, um, so interesting. hopefully that, I, I, I answered that. I mean, at, at the end of the day, I mean, the proper insurance is really um, there to help you uh, supplement in the case that Airbnb does not do a payout. Let's just say for something, you know, that costs over $500, 
uh, in terms of damage uh, or furniture item or furniture piece. So, because um, I've, I've heard some really, really outrageous, I guess, recommendations or, or claims from Airbnb uh, representatives around uh, making certain repairs to furniture as opposed to replacing them, um, like Ikea, right? If you had some Ikea furniture that was, that was damaged, it's more than likely that you would just replace it as opposed to to have it repaired because it would be way, way more expensive, right? Um, so things like that. Um, so yeah, that was uh, no, that, that was a perfect answer. answer. I think it's just that it's it's hard to say when the the platform that you're depending on is a little difficult. So like on paper, in theory, there's a lot of good things that should happen in the world, but they don't always happen. So I think these are like contingencies to just make sure you have the level of protection that is, I guess, appropriate and that just matches your risk profile, but also like you can afford to take on. So like, you know, what level of protection can you afford to buy based on how much money you're making? And in some cases it might be different, you know, if people have like, like, for example, we had an investor come on here once and he was saying how he doesn't even insure any of his properties anymore because the premiums were so high that if one burned down, it wouldn't even be a big deal to him. It would be, he's paying more in premiums in a couple of years than he is if he lost an entire property. Strange, not like a conventional thinking, but he thought that through with an insurance agent. And I mean, he's a you know big investor and I guess it was on some of his like single family portfolio, but just an interesting perspective. So it's not one size fits all, but it is interesting to think about. Um, you mentioned, I mean, there's so many directions we could go, but just cause, cause we've gotten the question too, and it's come up in the group smoking. Um, it is one of those tricky things that you can't really find or take pictures of and say that someone smoked in the unit. It can obvious be obvious to anyone that goes in and smells, but have you had any situations where it was blatant that someone was smoking in the unit and then you had to file a resolution or a claim and mind just telling us how that went? Yep. Uh, fortunately. Fingers crossed. Uh, I have not had to make any resolutions for smoking in particular. Um, cool. You know, one of the things that we do uh, have installed in a couple of our properties, uh, and I mentioned this before, um, are uh, air purifiers mm-hmm. and then also air quality monitors. Um, so with these air quality monitors, you know, they don't have any cameras or anything on them. Uh, they go a little bit further with uh, than the minute system if you've heard about it before, yep. uh, for noise uh, noise monitoring. Um, so it does that, and it also does temperature, humidity, uh, particulate matter. So talking about dust, pollen, things of that nature, uh, CO2, uh, and then also, I missed one, uh, VOC, so chemicals. Um, and so what, 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 what I'm able to do is I have a little dashboard for, for the properties that I have, and I can see 15 minute intervals, what the, um, the, the measurements or the readings are for all of these. So not only can that potentially help you in the claims process, because you can see, you know, if those those uh, items of concern, which for smoking in particular, it'll probably be particulate matter and maybe CO2. And if you see that those levels have a, uh, an ele- a significant elevation or increase over an extended period of time, then that could be a potential there. Uh, I haven't had to do a resolution um, to, to be able to submit, submit that kind of documentation outside of obviously, you know, finding a cigarette bud and ashes and all that kind of stuff, uh, which that would be, you know, obviously proof um, and you would have to do all that, but uh, a way to mitigate, you know, some of that stuff and then just know uh, what kind of activity is happening um, in the space as well. Uh, we only have uh, ring doorbells at some of our properties. And so on the ones that we don't, uh, we also utilize a system to, to, to understand how many occupants are in the, the building or in the uh, in the apartment, because uh, that's a measurement of CO2, right? Um, so mm. when we exhale, uh, and so if you there's there's certain thresholds, and typically, uh, if I can remember correctly, it's about anywhere between 600 to 800 uh, per person, mm-hmm. and so if you multiply that, you know, times two people, you know, you can know what that range is. But if you see it's five times or 10 times larger than that, then you know you got way more people in that apartment than, than need to be, or somebody smoking or, or something of that nature, right? Um, and you can tell the difference because a spike isn't necessarily a reason for concern. But as I mentioned before, a sustained high level uh, that's beyond a certain threshold, and that's something that you can do in the, in the uh, software as well. Uh, it's called Aware. 
So A W I R, I'm sorry, A W A I R. And so uh, with that particular platform, you're able to set thresholds and you can even get notifications to your phone, right? So if I'm out and you know it, they at a particular property, it spikes at a certain level, I'll get that notification. If it's something I need to address, I'll do it. If not, then I won't worry about it. Uh, so that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now you can even integrate um, systems like that uh, along with the air purifiers that we have in the space uh, that don't produce ozone, by the way, which, which is actually harmful to humans. Uh, I know a lot of people use ozone machines uh, typically for clearing out smoke and so on and so forth, uh, which is great uh, when the, the, the space is not occupied, but it's not something you want to keep in there running, right? Uh, you can get to re- you can get in some really big trouble with with that. So, uh, and in my understanding, I think they're banned in in California. That's um, my understanding as well. So, um, anyway, um, so with that, just being able to um, to not only understand the level of air quality in the space for preventative measures, but also to be able to just have a healthier atmosphere. I mean, how many short term rental spaces can you can you ask them and say, okay, well, what is the air quality in in your space? Mm. Many of them wouldn't be able to tell you, right? Other than the fact that, oh, it, it doesn't smell bad, you know, um, you know, nobody's really getting in sick. Uh, so that, that's one of the things about air quality. And then even with water quality, like I mentioned before, that we're trying to enhance on our properties uh, just to have a better, uh, a better atmosphere, uh, especially for people that are traveling because uh, air quality um, can have a lot of disruptions for your sleep. Um, mm-hmm. And that's one of the main reasons why they're coming there, right? So. Okay. Wow. There's so many places I feel like we could still go. So let me just uh, make sure we kind of hit on a couple of these key points before we get you out of here. What are some of your biggest challenges as you try to grow and scale and manage this business? We hear, I'd say a lot of just like excuse challenges or reasons why people can't get started. Like, oh, you know, that's illegal or I can't get approved in a building or you know, for me, it was trade lines for a while, but for you right now, um, what are your biggest day-to-day challenges with it? And then what are like some of your maybe expected challenges as you try to grow and add more units? Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you, you kind of touched on one of them a little bit, uh, and that's just to start. I think a lot of people kind of get into a situation where it's analysis paralysis. You know, you have a lot of different things you can you can do and, you know, different mistakes you can make and things of that nature. And obviously that, that could bring out fear. Um, but just get started. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to start large. You can start small and, and grow and, and build on that. Um, and as we mentioned before, find mentors, uh, find resources online to be able to uh, hedge some of the potential risks uh, associated with getting into. So like you mentioned before, if you're going into, especially if you're going into to an area that uh, you've never lived in before, you know, nothing about uh, those are obviously the, the, the more risky ones just because you have to do a little bit more due diligence and research, right? Uh, obviously, one of the reasons why I started here in Dallas is because, you know, I've lived here for about eight or nine years. Uh, I've seen the change. I know where the neighborhoods, the good neighborhoods are. I know where the, the areas of growth are, things of nature, um, and where pockets of, of opportunity lie. Um, and so when we talked about challenges, uh, for me, being able to... Uh, get more inventory by picking up more units, whether it's in the same complex, multiple complexes, uh, can, can, can be a, uh, a challenge. And I think for, for a lot of folks, just because um, it's not something that you can do passively, right? You really have to understand the craft around negotiations, speaking to the right people. Um, and then, as I mentioned before, really doing the due diligence to make sure that does this location pencil out. Um, and, and, and that can be by, you know, any means, whether it's like I mentioned before, air DNA or, or some other method. And so uh, with that, you know, being able to, to just start, be, I would say be flexible, know your audience and really develop smart goals uh, around where you want to be in your, in your business, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, it shouldn't be ha- haphazardly. Um, it should be intentional. And so what that means is, you know, you don't have to have a full blown business plan. Mm-hmm. But at least early on, have some guidelines, some guardrails around, you know, what makes sense, what, what's a what's a go, what's a no go um, in certain situations and be prepared mm-hmm. um, when you start to start have those conversations with folks as well. So. I got to pull it back. I got to ask, what are you what are your biggest challenges? Not not what you think most people's yeah. challenges are. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah so w- one of my biggest challenges is just picking up new units, to be honest. Um, 
And so I think for me, having a better focus on um, knowing, I, I guess just knowing uh, what particular apartment complexes to target. And I've been getting some help with the realtor that I'm working with. Uh, and then, you know, just doing my own research online um, and just getting better at the pitch, I think is a challenge as well. Mm -hmm. um, so when you start to have those, when I start to have those conversations, um, knowing exactly what to say. Um, and I, I've learned a lot and there's some things that I, I notice and, and I have certain questions that I ask. Uh, but I think with that, it's just, just picking up additional units because uh, unfortunately I've had to turn away tenants because I have nowhere to put them. So somebody says, hey, Mike, uh, I want to come to Dallas and stay for four months because I've got an assignment for this, um, uh, you know, this residency or whatever or, what, or whatnot. Um, and I say, hey, I don't, I don't have anything right now. I mean, I've done that multiple times. Uh, now, granted, in some cases, if you're in a mastermind group, if you know others, you can refer them to someone else, right? Uh, and and they could, that could be a benefit to them. But um, that, that's, one, that's one of the main challenges is having enough inventory at the right time to be able to, um, to, to cater to those individuals that are, that are trying to stay here. So I got to just ask about it because I'm sure people are wondering when you said working on the pitch, can you maybe give us a high level of what the pitch sounds like that you say, or, you know, what type of dialogue you try to engage with landlords or management companies when you're trying to get in their buildings? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so essentially, you know, um, you want to be transparent because I know some people, they'll go into the conversation um, and say, okay, well, I'm looking for an apartment complex for myself or something, right? And not just come right out and say, hey, you know, we, <laughs> yeah, <they'll, laughs> and then not come right out and say, hey, uh, you know, we are a uh, corporate housing company and we cater to individuals um, that are traveling nurses or business professionals um, that stay short term, uh, could be 30 days. And, and usually what I try to do as well is, and this is maybe a little bit difficult when you first start out, is start to bring some of the data and analytics that you already have uh, to help better prepare yourself for that conversation. So, you know, typically um, uh, our average stay for, you know, nurses or whatever, so on and so forth, is about eight weeks. So they kind of have an idea what that's like. Um, so they know it's not, um, you know, one to two days, three days, things of that nature, which that could be a part of, part of your model, but you don't, you don't start with that, right? Um, and definitely don't say Airbnb because that'll just shut them down right away in most cases. Um, um, and so with that, you're, 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 you're kind of telling a story around, you know, how your process works. Um, and I would say, and this, this is a part of, uh, I guess, selling and, and making a sale is you don't want to spill all the beans at, all, all at once, right? You want to be able to have enough ammunition, uh, you know, still in your pocket uh, as they start to ask those challenging questions. Um, you know, how, how, how do you handle turnover or things of nature and certain protocols? And I think the main thing that you want to do in those kind of conversations is give them information around uh, how you, basically how you handle your, your process, essentially. Um, um, what protocols you also have in place to mitigate risk, because I think that's a, a huge piece of the concern for a lot of owners and apartment complexes and management companies is, you know, the risk you know, the type of, what are the type, what are the type of people you're going to be bringing into my property, right? Are you going to bring right. the property down and so on and so forth? So, um, you know, addressing those kind of concerns head on and being prepared for that is probably the best thing that you can do uh, when you start to have those conversations mm -hmm. uh, and just be, just be transparent um, as well. And I think that the other important thing is knowing that who you're talking to, uh, whether it's the, the leasing agent or somebody else, and is that the decision maker? And if it's not, then how do you get in front of that decision maker? Um, because I'll tell you really quick, if we got time, um, you know, when we got that three unit deal, I basically, uh, obviously, you know, dressed to impress, right. Um, um, to go talk to the, the leasing agent. Um, and at the time, uh, I would, at the time I knew they didn't do, um, corporate housing. Right. And so I went in, gave them the spiel and said, Hey, we're looking for some apartments. Um, and we're looking to pick up this many. I think that also sets a precedence, right. Uh, as opposed to, to an individual coming in to get one unit, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to come in to get five or even eight units. Uh, and so obviously there's some benefits to, to them for doing that and with occupancy and so on and so, so forth with investors and, and looking good on paper. However, um, when I walked out, um, there was another guy that I saw 
And I was like, I wonder who that is. And I just kind of kept walking. And then uh, it, it, actually at the end of that conversation, he said, you know, we don't do corporate releases, so on and so forth. And I was like, okay, well, that's fine. You know, thank you. Have a nice day, so on and so forth. And then he called me like two days later. And he was like, yeah, you know, you told me about the corporate leasing thing. Um, the owner saw you leaving the other day. He's like, who's that guy? And so he, he, uh, he called me back and said, hey, we're, we're open to it. And then from there, that's when the conversation started happening. Um, one of the pieces I would definitely throw out there is don't expect the negotiations and the sale to, to close the same day or even the same week. I, I, would, I would tell you to guess how long uh, it took for us to get this deal, um, but you probably wouldn't guess it. Uh, it took us about three months. So patience is the key. Wow. Um, but at, at the same time, that wasn't the only deal I was trying to work on. So again, you have to have multiple layers. Um, I would say have a backup for the backup and then um, be able to, to just, um, just put, I don't say put your feelers out there, but uh, you know, have targeted conversations with, with targeted individuals. So yes, let's try to just squeeze uh, one more question here. Just, just, uh, for the sake of time. But one thing that I found so interesting when I was talking to these owners and property managers was it's not asking for permission. And it's not like they're doing this huge favor for you. Like you can just be very open and upfront with it much more than I thought. I thought it was like this game you have to beat around the bush. But to your point, if you just deliver the message and explain to them, this is a business, this is what we do, we're a corporate housing company are you open to doing that or not? It's not like you need to say all these fancy words. It's literally just delivering a version of that message, you know, and obviously then there's some tweaks and nuances to it, but it's not like a secret or a hidden message you're trying to get across. You're being open and upfront and it's a business. So you're just trying to operate within their business that they didn't build that building. They run their business into someone else's kind of predetermined structure. So it's just, everyone's arbitraging each other. It's just, where do you fit into that? It's very weird to think about, but like, that is the truth. Yeah. You know, even, yeah. you know, Apple, this computer that I'm filming on, they don't make all these parts. They get them from other places. They rebrand them and then they spin it off as their business. They just put out a great product. Um, one last question, just, just to kind of put a bow on everything here. Um, some buildings that, or, or questions that, that I've gotten or we've gotten are around, um, I'm talking to buildings, they're willing to do this, but they want every person that's coming through to submit an application or do a background check. Um, so I'm just curious, have you faced that with any of your buildings? And if you have, how did you overcome it? Or if you didn't have to face that, was there anything that you recommend on not having to do that? Yeah, that's a really good question. Uh, that's one of the reasons why we, uh, you know, pulled out the conversations on a recent one. Um, and I say that because that particular process makes it, uh, I would say it makes it more challenging to do anything less than 30 days. However, if you're doing something that's 30 days or more, then that could work for your model. Uh, it just depends on what your focus is for that particular property and how you how you want to run it. Uh, because at the end of the day, they will be looking at you. They will be, you know, trying to scrutinize. And so making sure you have all your, your T's crossed and I's dotted uh, is key there. But um, one of the reasons why that's so important is because if you uh, look at that particular guideline, um, you know, th that's at potentially added cost to you every time a new person comes in, right? So whether that, that, um, uh, that background check costs, you know, $40, $100 per person, so on and so forth. And then you also think about the potential for you, quote unquote, making a soft approval for someone to come stay, whether it be, you know, a week or six months. And then that complex or that owner saying, you know, based on the background check, we don't want this person to come in. And now you have to deny them. And, you know, it, it, it could be a bottle, it, it could definitely be a bottleneck in your process for procurement. Because, uh, you know, think about, um, you know, 10 different people wanting to come stay at the place and all of them being denied by the owner. At that point, it's like, okay, well, how do I get people in? Like, what, what like, what's the criteria, right? And it, it can be subjective. Uh, some are more transparent around, you know, what that is and some aren't. Uh, so I would just be, be careful if you're going to go into a deal with that being a stipulation. Um, in many, many cases, I, I'd stay away from it if, if possible. Now, what we did do on, a, on one of our other deals is uh, we actually uh, kind of created an addendum. And so essentially, um, when, or in an agreement with the, uh, the property management company, when it was possible, uh, the person would come into the office to get the key fob and, and check in and all that kind of stuff, uh, sign off and get their driver's license. Um, uh, however, 
as you can imagine, you know, people check in at any at any time of the day, right? And if the leasing office is only open eight to five, so on and so forth, that kind of limits uh, access and being able to do that. So we kind of have a hybrid system where if uh, that check-in is not possible and they know well in advance, we send them, you know, um, uh, sorry, calendars of, you know, the scheduling and all that kind of stuff. Uh, if that's not possible, then we have lock boxes set up to where they can do that. And then everything else is digital, right? So they upload that information. We already do our bidding process on the front end anyway with background checks. Uh, and that's another thing that, that you may want to, to share as you're talking to some of those property managers and owners uh, is because they may think that you don't do anything, right? You're just letting any kind of person in. So getting into those nuances sometimes kind of helps relieve some of the concerns, I think. Um, and hopefully we'll, we'll help you out in getting those units. So. Awesome. Mike, such a great episode, man. So much useful tactical information here. What's the best way for people to check you out on social media or get in touch or just kind of follow along? Yeah, so uh, you can follow me on Instagram. It's uh, M. Charles Jr. Um, and, um, you know, I also have a podcast called 3P Theory, uh, where I kind of talk about some of the, you know, sustainability, healthy buildings and energy efficiency strategies for, for, for projects. Uh, so you can tune into that and uh, on LinkedIn as well. So looking forward to, to networking with you guys. Awesome. Well, Mike, just want to wish you the best of luck in 2021, man. Um, it's going to be fun to watch and just really, really good stuff, man. So thank you again for coming on. Awesome. Yeah. Glad to be here. Um, and, and much success to you in the, in the podcast as well. You're doing some great work and love what you're sharing. Appreciate it, Mike. Thank you, man. Hey, you millennial millionaire. Are you looking for help getting to the next level in real estate? Are you looking for accountability and strategy to achieve your goals? If so, Jonathan is now taking on one-on-one -on -one students and opening a few spots in his private mastermind. It's affordable and welcome to everyone. If you had any questions or think you may need a boost, send Jonathan a message on Facebook or email at johnjfarber at outlook.com. 